So hello everybody and welcome to the OCO Broadcast. Today I'm delighted to welcome a couple of guests to the conversation. Uh, Kenny McDonald, first of all, who's the president of One Columbus, the regional EDO for the city of Columbus in Ohio, and currently the chairman of the International Economic Development Council, comprising thousands of economic development organizations, predominantly from North America, but increasingly from around the world as well. And I'm also delighted to be joined by Martin Casper, Martin's head of corporate development at a large uh, German automotive supplier uh, and has extensive experience of citing uh, international operations uh, and working with investment promotion agencies. And today we're going to talk about the topic of supply chains. Supply chains have been in the news a lot over the last couple of months, predominantly around PPE, food supply and the other challenges that COVID-19 have brought. So Martin, if I can maybe turn it over to you, first of all, I mean, working in the automotive industry as you are. I mean, clearly we're living through unprecedented times at the moment in terms of global supply chains. Do you want to just talk to us a little bit about you know the biggest challenges that you're facing and kind of what you're seeing uh, within the, the industry at this time? Actually, quite a number of big challenges we're, we're facing at the moment. Um, I think I would, I would sort of focus on three. One, the operational breakdown of supply chains on, on account of border closures, on flight cancellations, the tailbacks at borders. So even if you wanted to deliver goods, you very often find it incredibly difficult to do so. Um, secondly, and that's probably even more important, is the reason that sales are drying up. So on account of people being ordered to stay at home, they're not go out shopping or they feel not certain enough to really commit to large expenditures like, like buying a car. And we see that in the automotive industry quite, quite clearly. And that is sort of filtering through the entire value chain the big OEMs, the car manufacturers, are not selling cars. The tier ones are not having business, and consequently, also the raw material suppliers are sort of failing to to sell. So that's that's something that is affecting a whole chain of, of companies. And and thirdly, and that's probably the most the most immediate issue is that companies are scrambling to shore up liquidity. I mean, they they try to lower their costs, they try to run their operations at the lowest possible level. So at the moment, everybody's is battening down the hatches and, and nobody's really thinking about venturing abroad. So Kenny, I guess sitting as you do, you know, really in the you know unique position, I suppose, of being, you know, both very close to industry in your region, your investor community, and also, you know, regional and state government. You know, what are your reflections of the last month or so and what conversations you've been having? And I suppose most importantly, what support have you been providing? Um, we... Uh... We are a small team here that represents uh, uh, the Columbus region in Ohio, um, but our team does uh, travel around the world and has friends in uh, all over Europe and Asia uh, that we work with. And uh, everybody's going through this together uh, and learning as we go. So it's been both the, uh, the longest month of our lives um, and the shortest uh, with all of the frantic work that we've had to do uh, on nearly every industry sector that we work in. Um, obviously, the um, the effect of this is is very local in one way because the restaurants and uh, shops that you frequent on a on a normal basis are shut down, and and you have friends and neighbors that have businesses that are impacted. Um, as somebody who thinks about uh, our economy and the big levers of the of the economy, however, um, you know I think that some things are working. Um, you know, the global logistics chain is saving lives. 
um, bringing medical supplies and food from around the world to keep our businesses and our communities running. Um, but we have other sectors like the automotive sector um, that has been shut down and um, it won't be an easy restart. So we're, uh, we're thinking about um, uh, not only how to uh, solve problems in the short term, but how to uh, restart and re-engage with the world um, as soon as we can when the health crisis is in a better place. So Martin, you, you talked you know, earlier about you know, the, the ripple effect that you're seeing you know, right through the supply chain, uh, you know, given what's going on. And Kenny also talked about that from a community point of view in terms of the, the global, the regional, the national kind of businesses kind of in, the, in, in his region. Look, I know it's very difficult to be definitive about what we see as being the longer term implications of the of the current crisis. But, you know, you talked about, you know, no one is really thinking at the moment around international investment. But, you know, when we get our head back up again, you know, be it, you know, two, three, four months from now, you know, what do you believe the, the, the sort of the picture will look like? And, you know, what are you expecting basically to happen both in the in the short and in the longer term? Very good question, Gareth. Um, I'd I, I wish I know that. Um, I, I can only sort of estimate from, from what I see now. And I think that many corporates realize that very long supply chains are very often quite problematic. We saw production plants in countries that were not affected by the virus, nevertheless to have shut down in as much as they didn't get the raw materials or the semi-finished goods they needed to produce. And that is sort of a direct consequence of, of those tightly interconnected, very, very long supply chains, which have become a real problem in this situation. And realistically speaking, there is no quick fix, no easy answer to that, because we can't simply stop globalization and produce everything back home. But what I think is going to happen is that corporates think very hard about their global footprint and to think very hard about the length and sort of the stability and the risk of their supply chains. And I would assume that there is a lot of rejigging of supply chains going on as soon as this is over and that maybe reshoring is going to be the buzzword of 2021. Um, I'm fairly convinced that we will see the shortening of supply chains. But from, from a purely corporate perspective, I think it is very important to sort of always keep in mind that there are two levels to that. A short-term perspective, that is to deal with the crisis, because that is the key to get through that crisis, to make it intact and also intact in your certain markets. So there is a very strong imperative for the short-term aspect. And then the longer term, how do you rejig how do you redesign your value chain your supply chain to operate within these new parameters so kenny you had talked about the i guess the local global dimension and you know martin has just given us a a sense and as far as the longer term picture that uh, that that he can foresee and you know i guess from both of you what we're agreed on is that the, the world is going to look you know kind of different at the other end of this to the way it did going going into it Kenny, what does that mean for an organization like yours? I mean, some of these dynamics perhaps of, you know, greater regionalization, 
you know, that might mean, you know, kind of, you know, more smaller projects than fewer bigger projects. I mean, how have you and the team been thinking about that and, you know, thinking about how you might reposition, you know, kind of one Columbus, uh, you know, kind of in the future? Is it fundamentally different to what it looks like today? Um, I would say yes and no. So I think that uh, every strength um, that we went into the crisis with, wherever you are in the world, um, and every weakness that you had uh, has been um, surfaced and made uh, more visible. So the strengths that we had um, in Ohio and in Columbus of being a, you know, a global logistics center, um, uh, a center in North America for where the supply chains run, um, has served to be a great strength because we're, uh, you know, we're in we're in the middle of everything. Um, on the other side of that, um, we have a lot to lose, and as it all uh, begins to shut down, uh, and supply chains have to be reconfigured around the world, um, there's going to be tremendous disruption. Um, Columbus, for example, is a major headquarters for a number of retail companies that both. Uh, I have headquarters in fashion design here, um, but they also run their e-commerce operations. Um, their headquarters are greatly impacted. Their stores are greatly impacted. Their headquarters staff is, um, but their e-com operations are continuing to operate uh, and make those companies a viable uh, ongoing concern. And in some cases, they're, um, uh, you know, what was planned to happen over a 10-year period is happening in a month or two um, with uh, increase in e-com sales, um, online working, um, uh, digital everything. <laughs> um, and it's going to be an interesting time. I do think that some things will look you know, consistent when we come back. I do think that some industries are going to look as if um, they went through a time machine um, and look quite a bit different in both employment and structure um, uh, six months from now. So, Martin, you've just heard from Kenny, I guess, as a spokesperson for economic development and investment promotion, you know, talking about there being infrastructure there to put to work, you know, a willingness to work creatively and proactively with, uh, with industry. What would your ask be, Martin, of the, the investment promotion world uh, in order to make the post-COVID-19 recovery uh, as effective as possible? If I can take you up on the, on the good and bad, I think that is, that is an idea I would like to run with. And one aspect that constantly strikes me when, when talking to IPAs is the often vast differences in the way how IPAs, or shall we say some of the IPAs, interact with potential customers and how a service company in pretty much any given industry would interact with a customer. Service companies, particularly the successful ones, think very hard about what their customers need and they try to look at the world through their eyes and try to understand their thought processes. And by that, they are able to sort of really produce a very, a very valuable service to them. And if I could hark back to, to what I said earlier, sort of this idea of short-term and long-term, I think this, this comes in very strongly for IPAs. If, if you speak to a corporate right now, they're just not interested in green-built projects. They're just not interested in and all the things IPAs would like to talk about. Their key focus now is how to lower costs, 
And if an IPA can help the corporate in exactly that, how can they lower costs? How can they, I don't know, deal with sending workers into, into technical unemployment, into Kurzarbeit, as the Germans would say? Um, are there any government programs to help them get through that period? I'm perfectly aware that that doesn't produce anything tangible for the IPA at the moment. But what it does is it establishes the IPA as a, as a knowledgeable, as a trustworthy, as a helpful partner, as, as, a, as an institution you really want to talk to. And I think that is really important for, for that second bit we talked about, for the long term. Because when corporates start to develop the new plans, the new strategies, the new global footprint, as an IPA, you want to be in the room at that very point. You want to be part of that conversation because if, if corporates you know, think about closing plants, you might be able to prevent that, to avoid that. Or if corporates try to sort of consolidate several plants on one continent, you want to be the one where it is consolidated to, where you get all the additional benefit. But you can only do that if you're a, a really trusted conversation partner and if you are in the room very early on. And I think that is where the really good IPAs truly shine because they're exceptionally good at maintaining relationships and as, as, as being seen as, as those trustworthy sparings partners to really conduct con discussions on, on a very high level. I think there is the, the classical expectation towards an IPA, sort of be knowledgeable about various aspects, uh, be a helping hand, organize all, all the issues of sort of finding the right location. But what I really liked and what Kenny said is the importance of working together with the local community, because what that tells me or what sort of signifies that and what corporates think as being very important is that working with IPAs isn't the transactional one-off quick deal, but that there is a long-term relationship. And if IPAs can sort of stay with the corporates, accompany them, them uh, through the process of sort of growing the company, developing the company, see if there are any future possibilities. And I think that is exactly where the wheat and the chaff will be separated in terms of IPAs in a post-COVID world. Those who manage to maintain relationship to the corporates will be the ones who pick up business. Those who operated on a very transactional business might find it far harder to sort of get back into the conversation I, I alluded to earlier on. Look, Kenny and Martin, I've really enjoyed um, speaking to you both. Uh, you know, and I'm encouraged, um, if I've been honest, by much of what I've heard, not to sort of underestimate the scale of the challenge ahead but you know you've talked a lot about you know sort of collaboration and you know the openness and transparency between you know both industry uh, and kind of government kind of stroke policy Kenny I suppose you know to to take the positives you know and, and take some of the the learnings from the the last month and to play them forward I mean what ask would you have of, of industry and your investors to to make sure that we learn and ultimately in the long term come out stronger from this no question. Uh, maybe a couple of thoughts on that, Gareth. One is that certain industries were very well organized um, and we're going through um, change already. Uh, what I mean by being organized is that they were 
um, organized and in, in touch with uh, Washington, D.C., in our case, um, and uh, had good advocacy and were help maybe getting some additional help. Others were um, kind of um, maybe a, a little bit um, disassociated and, and um, were operating on their own. I think that they've learned a lesson that, you know, you uh, even if your industry is incredibly competitive, you have to be aligned with your uh, competitors um, because you all have to hang together to get through these times. So we're starting to see uh, alliances emerge, uh, some of which were discussed beforehand, GM and Honda in our case. Honda's headquartered in the Columbus region and has just formed a partnership around electric vehicles with GM. Um, I assume that was accelerated by the crisis a bit. Um, we are um, we are continuing to see um, uh, sort of massive entrepreneurial efforts. So even major companies have gone back to their roots of where they started. About okay, you know we're in the we're in the business of business to start off with. Uh, how do we make money in this climate? And some have adjusted fairly rapidly to that. So I would argue that in some uh, areas of the world, you're going to see uh, that entrepreneurial spirit come alive like never before, or maybe in a generation or two, uh, to create great innovations that are going to accelerate and do things differently. Telemedicine. Um, online working, um, uh, you'll see it in, in the supply chains. Um, you'll see us adjust, uh, even though this has been a fairly violent and a rough change. Uh, I, I, my uh, my long-term bet is with the entrepreneurs and the innovators uh, from around the world who are going to make things work. One thing that has certainly been um, made clear in this crisis is that communities and business need to work together. Uh, and those communities can be, um, you know, the, the, the small town that you have a facility in or a plant in. It could be the country you reside in, or it could be your international community that you, um, you operate within. Um, there is an incredible economic development infrastructure around the world uh, to help companies and to help them advocate for their industry and their businesses directly with their with government um, and also d provide direct assistance and maybe even connect them with similar players um, so that they can form these connections and convergence of um, functions uh, just to deliver the product at the end of the day and you know i i take heart that the economic development industry is is here and ready to serve and business, quite frankly, needs the help more than ever before. Um, and uh, as a uh, practitioner at a local level, um, as the chairman of our international association, you know, I look forward to the conversations and the um, advancement we're going to make as a profession. Thanks, Kenny, for your insights there. And in actual fact, thanks to both of you guys, both Martin and Kenny, for your perspectives and your comments throughout. Uh, I personally have found it to be extremely interesting and I know our, our, our listeners will do as well. So that just leaves it for me to bring uh, the fourth episode of OCO Broadcast to a close. I hope you've enjoyed listening and we look forward to bringing you further perspectives over the coming days and weeks.